0: Before we start the podcast, I want to let listeners know that this conversation covers cancer, death, and grief. Please listen with care. Welcome back to The Book I Needed. We're talking today about grief, which is something everyone will experience to various extents throughout their life. In fact, all of us experienced some sort of grief during the global pandemic. Some grieved the loss of plans and life as they knew it. Others lost jobs, homes, stability, or income. And millions grieved the loss of loved ones. No one gets out of this life untouched by grief. And yet, it's one of the hardest things to talk about. In 2018, I lost my mother, whose name was Libby. I'm all too familiar with the very specific trauma that comes with watching a loved one die. I also remember the isolation, anger, desperation, and just crazy feelings I had when grieving. Even knowing all of that, I still find it hard to know how to adequately talk about loss. This is all to say that today, I'm talking to Lars Fritchie Peterson, who is grieving his late wife, Kate Fritchie Peterson. She died just 5 months ago which in the timeline of grief is no time at all. We discuss her life, her death and what Lars's grief currently looks like. We also discuss the book It's Okay That You're Not Okay by Megan Devine and how it's helped guide Lars through his grief. I can't thank Lars enough for being so open and vulnerable during this tremendously difficult time. And it's important to remember that grief is not the only part of this story. His and Kate's love was filled with warmth, adventure, and deep admiration. So first, we'll focus on telling the story of Kate and Lars, starting with how they met.
1: Uh, we met on Bumble in 2020. We had virtual dates, and then we did distance picnics and hikes, and, and I had an 18-foot rowboat. So I, we, we like to say that the... The real solidification of a, a stating was uh, me rowing her around because it was a uh, you know we could be six feet apart. She sat on one end of the boat and I was rowing and we were distanced and we could still row around the lake.
0: It's a perfect COVID date.
1: Yeah, <laughs> she was an avid bicyclist and would run and would do all these hikes and we went. Rowing and camping uh, a couple times, so even though she was not a big camper, she put up with it even below freezing temperature. Um, <laughs>
0: I <laughs> and, love that story. <laughs> yeah,
1: and then then informed me that that was the first and last time that she would do that. Um, <laughs> but she she was four. <laughs> um, we did a lot of hiking. Uh, we did some paddling, a lot of bike rides, um, and even when she was no longer able to, uh, to ride her bike. And then we found a, uh, adaptive E recumbent tricycle for her. And so we would ride around a lot like that.
0: Would you talk a little bit about like Kate's background and the work that she did that was so important? Uh, yeah.
1: Kate worked in public health policy. Um, she worked both for the federal government and then moved back to Maine. She was originally from Maine, um, and she moved back there to work for the state government um, and started working for the Department of Health and Human Services um, about a week before COVID hit. Oh my God. <laughs> so...
0: Welcome back to Maine. <laughs> yes, yeah, so the,
1: the, the policy work that she thought she was going to be doing um, changed rapidly. Um, and when we met, she was... In the full throes of COVID response, working crazy hours. Wow. Um, like she talked about, one of the things that she never thought she would do was have to go to a parking lot and decide whether it was an appropriate place for a COVID testing site.
0: Oh, <laughs> interesting! Wow, like what a what an interesting time for the world, and to be in that job—that's a little wild. Yeah. Yeah when when in your relationship did she get her diagnosis uh
1: only a few months in okay it was pretty early on that the uh time? she had uh, glioblastoma brain cancer um, she ha- i knew she had previously had breast cancer and she had a genetic mutation um that made her more predisposed to cancer um, and we had discussed that before and it was scary, but at the same point in time, like, after hearing it, I was already a little smitten and yeah. really still wanted to see where a where relationship could go. Um, things progressed. We moved in together. <laughs> um, essentially, we had already moved in together after her first... Or, no, excuse me. Excuse me. After her second craniotomy. After her first one... Uh She was recovering at her parents' house, and she still had not told her parents that she was dating anybody <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so uh I came to find out that as we were watching a movie virtually together, that she was telling her parents that it was like with college friends, um oh. even though we were in our thirties and it felt very high school <laughs> that's
0: both cute and like understandable. <laughs> <laughs> It's COVID. She's got this diagnosis. Yeah. yeah. She's a little cautious.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then after her second craniotomy, um, essentially we moved in together so I could be there to help. Um, and then we officially moved in together.
0: What was the recovery like for craniotomies?
1: Um, surprisingly, I kind of want to say easy. Like she, She would talk about how much easier brain surgery was than when she had surgery for breast cancer. Yeah. Um, and she was also the kind of person that would celebrate everything. So we would do things like get a cake for the day that her staples got removed. Oh. <laughs> um, and I would try to write on on it and surprise her every time. Even though I think it, it happened enough times that she always knew. But she always, like had this face of appreciation for so much like every little thing she would just get so excited for and it was so genuine it wasn't yeah you know i feel like a lot of people have this show about it and she was just always like the most genuine person if it was a bad time she would also be willing to join you in that too
0: yeah Um, she was willing to meet you where you were yeah in the good and bad she yeah
1: she really connected with so many people We got engaged in January on a five-degree weather um, (laughs) at a boat launch outside. Why Um, (laughs) why do
0: you do this to her?
1: (laughs) We had said we were going to go on a bike ride that day after work, um, and we were going to go to one of the spots where we had gone on one of our early dates at this point near us um, by the water. And I got home from work, and she was geared up and all ready to go on a bike ride, and I was like, okay, so it turns out this is, like, extreme hypothermia weather, <laughs> let's, let's go on a drive instead, because okay. um, I think at that point in time, I was just so nervous about it that I just want to do it. I wanted to do it the weekend before, and it was raining the whole time, and she thought I was just anxious because I always want to go outside, but the reality was I was anxious because I was wanting to propose. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> Our wedding was crazy big
0: (laughs) that was really fun Uh, I was lucky enough to be there yeah yeah my I think my favorite thing was you know she was obviously bald at that point she'd been going through chemo but I think in the pamphlet it was just like hair by doctor whatever (laughs)
1: doctor her radiologist yeah
0: (laughs) yeah I loved her sense of humor like even in those moments that are extremely hard she would just like was able to, to do that. She
1: had this, like, flat humor that was just, like, a little sarcastic that was just yeah. perfect. Uh, so then we got married in June. And we went on our honeymoon to Hawaii for a month. Her social worker at the hospital found this foundation that hooked us up with this donor that had a condo in Hawaii. So we spent this month in Hawaii. Um,
0: sounds like such a dream. It
1: was amazing and she got to do so much um she said she like had always had trouble every time she had gone snorkeling before and we you know i tried calling a bunch of different places to find a place that uh would really work with her we found this amazing uh outfit that had this sailing canoe which i'm kind of obsessed with outrigger sailing canoes so it was great (laughs) they took us out and then they took us snorkeling the snorkeling instructor told her it's like oh you know why you're having problems you need to stop smiling so big <laughs> uh it, the water was leaking in from the corners of her mouth because she just wouldn't stop smiling um, we ended it with our um a grad school friend of hers wedding but i remember we were with all of her college friends on the beach they were going for a picture and she her legs just went and i just happened to be in a good place where like i could like swoop in and catch her um which i was told looked really good to her college friends but um (laughs) but in reality i was just panicked (laughs) um
0: near the end of that trip things started changing is that
1: right uh yeah she started forgetting to buckle her seatbelt was like the first thing which she was just so on top of everything her forgetting pretty much anything was that was more my role in the relationship was being the forgetful one yeah um and she started forgetting more and more things and then she started having more falls and then we got home and she had a lot of falls and a lot of confusion. It was like she was having trouble understanding that she was falling. And so she kept on trying to get up and then falling more. And when she ended up going to the hospital and they found the pulmonary embolism, uh, which they say was probably from the long flight. After that was treated, she seemed to get a little bit better. And so, like, part of me was this hope that that was the issue. Yeah. Um, And then things started getting... Way worse, very rapidly. Throughout so much of this, she retained who she was and her personality and everything. Mm-hmm. And once we got home, that's when some of that changed, and the tumor had grown into the frontal lobe.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What month did you go to Hawaii? Uh, August. August. Okay. And yeah. and she she passed away in November. Yeah. So it was very rapid. Yeah. When you're taking care of someone with cancer, that is like your entire world. It's like, like what time is it? Does she have an appointment? Has she taken her medication? What does she need now? Just constantly yeah. negotiating all of that in your own mind.
1: And trying to figure out. How to make the most of that time, too. Yeah. Um,
0: Were there any moments that you were able to experience some joy in there?
1: I remember pushing her in a wheelchair through the campus, the local college campus that we had gone on all these walks before. And it was just this beautiful Maine autumn evening. And the lights were there. And, like, they were shining on the leaves that were perfect. And it just seemed so peaceful and it was at a time where there hadn't been as many personality changes. And so we were having this like amazing discussion going on still. She said she wanted to have ice cream for as long as possible. She had this huge sweet tooth. Um, yeah. Non-alcoholic <laughs> wine
0: and ice cream. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: She, w- our, Her friends sent so many bottles of non-alcoholic wine because she couldn't have the wine because of her seizures and she did manage she at least had some ice cream all but two days at the at the very end yeah when she was not responding as much and you know we couldn't say we 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 said something to the hospice nurse about you know you got to watch what she says you say because you know sometimes you think that she's asleep but really she's she's right there and and she'll get you and all of a sudden, without even opening her eyes, she just goes, you bet your ass, or something along those lines. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a few moments like that. She she was Catholic, and we had the anointing of the sick, and we thought that she was totally out for that. And then at the very end, she wakes up and gives us speech basically about how thankful she was for her family and how much she loved me and her nieces um and becoming she loved her and, and her nephew she said becoming an aunt was the best thing that ever happened to her and marrying me was the best thing that she ever chose um mm. it was beautiful um um mm.
0: It's a gift that you're able to hear that too. Yeah. 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 Kate Fritchie Peterson died at the age of 34 on November 10th, 2022. She strongly believed that every person deserved to receive affordable, quality health care, and she was a key analyst responsible for helping to defend the Affordable Care Act. She was also a devoted aunt, sister, daughter, and wife. She is deeply missed by all who loved her. And then we move on into the after. There's grief before loss. I think you and I were opposite in that you maintained hope like the whole time and you were just like, she is going to be okay. And as soon as my mom got her diagnosis, I was like, she is going to fucking die. <laughs> so not great. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the grief, the grief process changes after the loss occurs. How did you feel right after? Do you remember?
1: Um, I had this. Both like. Desperation that this cannot be real, like, this is the worst thing in the world, and almost, and also, strangely, like, almost a relief because, like, those days leading up was just so hard to see.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And then I had a stretch um, where I feel like I kept on saying, I'm doing better than expected, and I was like (laughs) joking with friends, and I was um, doing it. And then And then it really hit that it was like, no, that was me in full denial.
0: Well, I, which is, I believe is totally normal. It's like, you can't really understand the full weight of what has just happened. Like it has to come in phases because you would be crushed under that weight, Yeah, you know?
1: Yeah. And I had a, a, quite a stretch and I, I believe we talked about this before and you said you had something similar where you just, went numb for a while
0: yeah
1: um and couldn't do anything um and i definitely had uh, one of my family members said something along the line of like well you know kate wouldn't want you just sitting around and doing nothing you've got to get up and get moving and i just broke i feel like that was the moment where i just could not take it and i just went off on them
0: there were so many times I wanted to go off.
1: Yeah, yeah. Do, do, I, I went beyond what I should have, and I apologized a couple of days later. But Yeah.
0: How quickly after her death did someone tell you that, like, sitting around wasn't going to help anything? Um, within a couple of weeks. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> you and I met each other in the Midwest yes Uh, we are both we grew up in the midwest what we both found out during our grieving processes is that the emotional capacity that was passed down to us was not great (laughs) (laughs) there were so many like midwestern ideas once you hit the grief period it was just like this isn't helpful whatsoever yeah like that kind of like pull yourself up by your own bootstraps mentality it's it's crazy when you're grieving it's definitely it's front and center for you, right? It's like the only thing that exists. And for everyone else, it's like, oh, the funeral's over and now it's time to move on. And I think that the those that are most impacted by the loss are like, well, I can't move on yet. There is no moving on yet. And so when you get people saying things like that, it produces rage. Yeah. And it can also make you feel more isolated in your grief, which is already an extremely isolating
1: feeling. I feel like there was two sides that would go on. You would either get the people that are just like, okay, it's done. Um, or you get the people, the the what I always refer to as the head tilting conversations, the like pity. Oh, and I can, I I can deal with, two of those a day um (laughs) but it's it's when you just get hit time and time and time again with that and it's like every person that you see is this is this pity but not actual understanding too right
0: yeah, I think something the book talks a lot about is toxic positivity. That like look on the bright side. At least you, at least you had her at all.
1: Oh yes. Yeah.
0: If I have a rule of thumb for anything, it's with someone who's grieving, never start a sentence with at least. And that's just a rule.
1: <laughs> One thing that I hated hearing time and time again was, she was so lucky to have you, because these people were looking at me as the caregiver, and it's like, okay, maybe, but at the same point in time. I was so incredibly lucky to have her as well. And and I work with seniors. Um, so early on, I had a lot of, um, of the people that I work with that are widows that I would get angry at because they'd be wanting to relate and compare. Um, and I definitely find appreciation for that now. But early on, I would get angry because... All I could think was like, yes, you lost your wife, but you lost your wife after 40 years of marriage. And I would give anything for that. Yeah. Even even though intellectually I knew their loss was still just as bad. I just, I just wanted to to have that in any way possible. Because, you know, I was grieving, I, I was grieving what lost, but also the loss of like what could have been which is something uh Megan Devine talks about in her book too was you know you have all these plans all these hopes all these all these ideas of what your future's going to be um yeah and i still like i have i still sometimes have dreams of us together in the future doing something um and then i wake up and remember that that's not a reality. This
0: is going to be the 5th year from my grief grief support group. I've heard that in year 5 because it's kind of I don't know why we think of incrementals as like kind of some sort of big deal, but that it's going to hit a little harder. And so I'm really looking forward to that. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. This book, I feel like this would have been much more helpful earlier on in grief because it does allow you to feel the anger and she's not entirely focused on like moving for moving on quote unquote healing. Um, the book that I ended up leaning on, and I think which was really good for me, was a workbook. And so it was—the first chapter was exactly what I needed, because I actually felt crazy. I was like, I can't believe I'm taking this so hard. I feel—I feel like—I felt weak, I felt like a lot of things that were very Midwestern to feel. And I I think that was also kind of reflected back to me, too, where it was just like, why haven't you moved on? Like, you know she wasn't a saint, right? You should be you should be over it. You knew this was coming, you know all of this shit. I really like that she kind of leaned into feeling the anger and being like, "Yeah, this shit is fucked up. Yeah. Like, it's not okay. Like, you just experience something like." Yeah, and the first chapter of the book I read was very much just like these are like you're going to hear a lot of stuff that's unhelpful, and just started listing everything I'd heard, and I was like, oh, good, okay, so this is a universal experience, and everybody has to put up with this shit. I, yeah, uh,
1: my my therapist recommended keeping a list. <gasps> Do you of have some one? The,
0: oh, I would love to hear. Um,
1: it. I'm trying to think if I have. I don't think I have my complete list with me, but I definitely have some. I think she referred to it as a hit list. Um, oh,
0: that's such a good idea.
1: Um, the amount of times of you know she was too young. Okay. Um, I yeah. Uh, it'll the it'll be okay. Um, which I remember hearing that. I found it extremely helpful hearing that in the wakes reception line, and my sister in law leaning over and just being like, "It may not be." Um, She was too good to stay in this world because, like, I'm sorry. The world would have been just fucking fine if she stayed in it. Um. Yep.
0: (laughs) Not helpful. Next.
1: (laughs) The I totally understand because when I went through my divorce, blah, blah, blah. The amount of people that compare divorce and widowhood is just outstanding. I never would have thought about it until... They're so different. (sighs) Yeah. if you oh this one really set me off the if you haven't hurt much you probably haven't lived much which i just feel is just glorifying suffering and i feel like so many of our best moments had absolutely nothing to do with pain and suffering it i don't know what that means
0: yeah i don't i don't yeah that would that would have set me off. (laughs) (laughs) uh
1: and then just like the avoiding talking of her at all um really gets me Yeah. As both of us have discussed and found out and experienced ourselves on the other side, who the hell does know how to talk to a grieving person?
0: Yeah. I
1: feel like even after going through it, I don't really know so many times.
0: Yeah, same. (laughs) Um,
1: And talking about, you know, nobody knows how to talk to a grieving person. I know we discussed bad Midwestern qualities after your mom's death uh not wanting to call you because I didn't want to be a burden I didn't want to I didn't want to interfere with your process and I figured you were having so many people calling you and then realizing afterwards how much like all those calls and messages even when you don't have the energy to respond to them I at least I found them helpful um
0: yeah I I think you would be in the same boat because, I well, your parents are both still alive and so they have, like they haven't lost each other and so you are the first person in your family to experience this kind of loss. And similarly, all of my grandparents were alive, my parents hadn't lost their parents so I was the first person to go through that kind of loss. And it felt like super isolating and I think early on there was a lot of contact. But then I went back home, um, everyone in my family is still in the Midwest and I lived in San Francisco at the time. And when I went back, I was alone and the calls stopped. And I don't know if I've ever felt more alone in my life. I've talked to a lot of people and I understand it too, because I've been that person in the past where I'm like, they probably don't want to talk. They probably have too much going on. I should just give them space And sure, but that's also me taking away their agency, right? Like they can just not answer the phone. (laughs) They can also send a text that says like, no, (laughs) not today, you know, but like I was making that choice for other people. Other people made that choice for me. Um, Yeah, I think that's one of the things that I regret then having gone through grief was the amount that I didn't reach out to people and check in on them Um, because it, yeah i don't know if you felt this way but and it seems like you guys had such a large community and so maybe it's it's different but uh you know there's there's the rush there's the like there's the funeral there's the celebration of life there's all that shit that you have to plan even though you're like a husk of a person and then once that's over everything stops um, and that was kind of a crazy experience for me. Did you experience something similar?
1: Um, it's slowed, but like like you said, we have we're so lucky to have such a large support system, um, and so many people like yourself that are pst, way more emotionally intelligent than I <laughs> <laughs> that I can even comprehend. Um, and the tribe of after, like we're talking about the. Really, leaning on everybody and continuing to and i've I found like one lo- lucky enough to have people that are still reaching out and trying to recognize like when to reach out to other people and say like, "Hey, these are times that I need help. Hey, there's this milestone coming up. It might be a big trigger for me. Would you mind being available for a call if if it ends up I need one? And those
0: wow, that's. That's great that you can ask for help in that way.
1: Yeah, it's... Yeah. I feel so lucky to have so many people. I had a panic the other day because something triggered a kind of a grief attack. Um, I heard another widow, um, one of our friend's mothers, who's a widow, uh, talked about it as a grief storm. Mm, um, like which I like that term mm-hmm. uh, a lot. I feel like that's exactly right. <laughs> um, yeah, and I had one of those, and you know, I, a lot of Kate's friends and family, we eat ice cream when we think of her because again, she she was that person that was her thing. Um, and I just had this panic because I didn't have any in the house. But like the day after I had this this attack, all of a sudden. I hadn't mentioned it to anybody, and there's this giant box of ice cream that had been delivered to our house. And there was, there was no gift receipt or anything. There was no, like, note that saying who it was from. So if anybody out there sent Jenny's ice cream, <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, but the grief attack was because you didn't have any ice cream.
1: Um... Well, I was wanting the ice cream because I had had a grief attack, and then all of a sudden it was like, uh, okay, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to sit with her urn, and, like, you know, this is how I'm going to process this. And then I had that slight realization that I don't have that. And then then this panic that, like, I am not in a place, like, I don't feel like I can go into the grocery store. I can not think I can make it through that. Uh, um, and so this big snowballing effect of basically nothing but it felt like everything
0: nothing but it felt like everything yeah so for me i couldn't go into the grocery store Well, i already have problems with grocery stores (laughs) that's another topic for another time (laughs) but like are there any like yeah going to the grocery store one of the first grief storms i had was i was standing in front of like the pasta sauce and you know like because there's fucking like a hundred options for pasta sauce and i was like I don't know what to do. I don't know which one. Completely fucking broke down, sobbed, left my cart and exactly where it was. And I was like, yeah, I'm not ready to grocery yeah. shop yet.
1: <laughs> I.
0: Do you have any, any like, weird stores or, like, anything where you're like, I can't complete these everyday tasks?
1: Oh, definitely. Um, grocery store was always, like, a big one because I get anxiety about grocery stores as well, and Kate actually enjoyed grocery shopping, uh, but as her, like, mobility issues and everything happened, um, it was kind of more put on me. Um, even though she's the one that actually wanted to do it, um, curbside pickup is great. I hope that never goes away because <laughs> that is the only way I function. The logistics that come afterwards yeah when you're in a place that like you do not want to do paperwork
0: yeah i i think yeah that feeling of like what is the meaning of anything when you've experienced such a great loss and then you just have to like fill out paperwork and yeah Uh, do all the bureaucracy involved with the death and then you're like oh i need like five death certificates because i need to send this for this one and this thing like it's it's the last thing you want to fucking deal with yeah when you're you just want to lay down and eat ice cream (laughs) (laughs) are there any other tools in this book that you found helpful in your
1: the suggestions of making lists of what's helping and what's hurting and Mm. kind of tracking that I found that to be very helpful if I eat this I don't sleep well if I you know if I'm does it help when I go on a a walk when I'm feeling this am I does this help calm me down and sometimes those things don't always mesh up but yeah uh, it has helped me recognize some patterns and change some things oh that's Um, awesome you know a lot of the give yourself space and forgiveness helps um
0: Yeah. I think one of the tools that helps me the most still, even if I'm, if I'm spiraling, if you're in a, if you're in a grief storm and you're starting to get really in your head and in your memories and in all of this stuff, my technique for helping myself get through that moment and kind of stabilize is to name everything around me. But I mean, I also really think there's a lot of value in in sinking into those moments and really feeling it. But if you're in a situation where you're at the grocery store, (laughs) if you're at work or you're driving.
1: I really appreciate that she brings that up. Because I feel like so many of these books that I've read now have been feel everything all the time. And she recognizes that there's sometimes where you just can't. Like, where it's either unsafe because you're driving or out somewhere where like you don't have a place to sit down or sometimes you're at work and getting ready to go into a meeting and being able to figure out a way to like turn that off for a second just for like a little survival mode and not not turn it off forever.
0: <laughs> no. Yeah, don't yeah, don't hold on to it in your body because it doesn't go away
1: unless you yeah. feel it. And the the part where she was talking about driving and those times with like not wanting to continue and just like she she talks about wanting to like drive off the highway um and just she has like a, a another widow friend that she has made like a pact with to you know in those desperate moments don't do it if you can't do it for yourself do it for me and and I don't have anybody that I've made a pact with or anything, but I I do, like, have have. that mindset of, like, once again, we have this such expansive, like, love and support. Um, And I don't think I've had any moments, honestly, I don't think I've had any moments where I wanted to drive my car off the road or anything like that, but I've definitely had those numb moments where I maybe wasn't thinking things through as much. Um, And I do think of all of our wonderful friends in our community that, have shown how much they care, uh, through everything. I've had a lot more moments in the last month or so thinking back of, I don't know if I want to say trauma, but like the, the roughness of the caregiving aspect. Cause I feel like I, I definitely did the, oh, it's fine to be the strong face for Kate through a lot of that. Um, like we did one, Treatment where we basically were hooking electrodes to her head every other day, and we would, I would shave her head every other day Mm -hmm. to and like change out these um, electrical pads and braid these cords down to this battery pack that she would have to carry around. And I would always like put on music, and we would like dance around like to it as we were doing it. And I would try to make it like as light as possible, and just like a thing that we did. And now. I have this recognition of like, no, that's, that's a little fucked up. It is. Like it's.
0: Yeah. I, I wanted uh, to ask you about that too. Do you have any flashbacks from that time?
1: I'm, I feel like they're starting more and more. It's like, I, I didn't for a while. I feel like I was in that survival mode and now, and now I'm, few months out or it happened when I was a few months out that I started getting more of these like yeah no this this was extremely hard um yeah you know those first seizures um
0: I totally hear you on the being positive and being a certain way in the moment and then later on uh, my flashbacks the last month of her life it was horrific and I had this this day one of the days she woke up and she was vomiting blood and she was vomiting blood all over her sheets which were ruined it was May in Kansas and it was so hot and the only thing that didn't make her wince in pain was flannel, flannel sheets, very soft sheets. And she was very cold all the time because she was down to like 86 pounds. And I went to every store in Lawrence, Kansas, looking for flannel sheets. And of course they were nowhere to be found. It was summer. It was, and I was crying and I just couldn't. I still have flashbacks about that i don't know if i'll ever stop seeing it i definitely see it less i think it takes your mind a lot of time to process that i think those are things that we have to like write down or get out of us because like especially in the type of caretaking situation we were both in it's just it's really hard There's also an emphasis in our culture around getting back to normal. Yeah. Healing. Well, I mean, you know, of course you want to heal. Like
1: that's I'm still
0: not back to normal. No. <laughs> no, of course not. Oh my god, I, I remember. don't even know what that is anymore. <laughs> it's the new normal. You are always going to move forward changed. The the idea that you would go back to something in the past is just ridiculous. Because you you are profoundly changed by the love that you had for this person. And you will move forward with it forever. Even in the future when you have relationships. If you ever have children, all of that, that will all... Like, Kate will be a part of all of that. And to think that that you just move on. I don't know. It, you move forward. You don't move,
1: move on. Since Kate did have a terminal diagnosis, we had had long talks about some of the ways moving forward and how Kate wanted to be remembered and talked about and how, you know, if I do have another relationship, how she, you know, wanted to be talked about in everyday life and still be a part of that. And... Yeah. I I hope to be able to honor that as much as possible. I still find people that are a little awkward and avoid talking about her, when in reality it's like, I love talking about her. It's all want to talk about, yeah. I, I felt like I had a win at work the other day when we were sharing stories about dogs and I said some story about Kate. And everybody just, like, went with it and was totally fine. It was like, I have bludgeoned these people into being okay talking about my <laughs> wife. Like, <laughs> yeah. And, and it made me really happy. It was like the whole rest of the day I was on on this cloud, because by golly, I can talk about this all the time now with these people that I see every day.
0: Yeah. I mean, considering what we were talking about earlier with like how people don't call because they think you're busy, a lot of people don't bring it up because they think it's going to hurt yeah. or, um, which is totally understandable. But at the, at my experience was that's all I wanted to talk about, Yeah, you know, cause you want to find a way to keep them present and a part of everyday life and you you find your own ways to do that over time and it shifts and
1: so many of these conversations are painful but really
0: yeah really
1: enjoyable and help also it's what we talked about with uh one of the people from one of my widow groups referred to it as the ands the
0: yeah can you explain
1: um they described it as i was i was describing something that talking about her doing something and crying about it and it like felt really great to do it but at the same point in time like it was really painful to to have this memory and they described that as like the ants. yeah this this is pain and love all together the ants. um yeah and i that that's another term that i picked up from (laughs) from this group that uh this community that I never thought I would be a part of, but is um. really helpful in the worst ways.
0: <laughs> right. It sucks that there's a need for that community, but thank God it's there. Yeah. Yeah. My, like, dead parents club, your hot young widows club. <laughs> <kind> <laughs> of thing. I'm so sad that those things have to exist. And I'm grateful they do. Thank there... you for
1: always being here to talk. Oh, love you. I
0: love you, too. Is there anything else that you want to say about Kate? And is is there anything else that you want to say about grief?
1: Um, Grief is terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, And Kate was just this amazing, brilliant light. Um, And I am so sad that she's not in the world, but I'm so glad that her legacy is getting to continue on with her nieces and her nephew and getting and all these programs that are going out in her name and her work towards service continuing out there
0: i saw the the way that you loved her and i've you know i've known you for a long time and she was something special and something different I hope if you are grieving or have grieved that you felt seen during this conversation. The book we discussed was It's Okay That You're Not Okay by Megan Devine, and it's a great resource for those who have experienced out-of-order death or unexpected loss. If you're grieving the loss of someone with whom you had a complicated relationship with, I strongly recommend The Grief Recovery Handbook by John W. James and Russell Friedman. I'd like to thank Lars again for sharing his and Kate's story. If you have a book that's helped you make sense of life in a new way and you'd like to talk about it on the podcast, email me at thebookineeded at gmail.com. We'll be back next week with a conversation about housekeeping, negotiating work within the home, and eliminating shame from your thought process. I'm your host and producer, Kelly Rennick. I hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening.